Well, good morning. Welcome to Arise Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here today, and I'm so thankful for that psalm that Freddie just read to us, and a wonderful psalm of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. We have a lot to praise Him for, don't we? I love that verse that he read, verse 13, I had fainted unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Many times throughout the week it can be very difficult and things can be tiring, but I hope that when we come together to worship the Lord, we can be reminded of his goodness to us, of his grace to us, and be able to worship him together. Let's all stand together this morning. Let's take a moment, talk to our Lord and uh, in prayer, and thank him for his work in our lives and I ask Him to bless the rest of our service. Father, we come to You today. We thank You for Jesus. Thank You for sending Your Son to die on the cross for our sin. Thank You for our salvation that we have through the finished work of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we thank You for the strength to live each day. We thank You for wisdom. Thank You for Your Word that You've given us to guide and direct us. You've said that Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that today that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would encourage us. Be with those who cannot be here today, that would love to be here, that are part of our body but are away because they're ill. Or Think of Katie this morning, strengthen her body and encourage her. Lord, thank you for your grace to her through this long treatment that she's already been through and we know she has a ways to go yet. Pray for those who are home not feeling well today just due to colds and other illnesses going around. Strengthen them, encourage them. Pray that even this morning they could in, find encouragement and help in your word. I pray for the boys and girls as they're dismissed out in just a minute to junior church that you would use your word in their hearts as Brother Josh gets to share with them your wonderful truth. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts now as we go back to your word and, and uh, get the help that we need to live this week and to be encouraged in our lives. Bless us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, boys and girls, you can be dismissed out with Brother Josh and Miss Anna. And a um, very special time that they'll be having this morning. They are working very hard and learning lots from God's Word. Let's turn back to the book of Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah chapter 11, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me there. This morning I had a, a wonderful privilege last night to go and sit on an ordination council for a man that is being put into the ministry. And, and uh, ordination is a very special time where uh, other men come around and ask questions and make sure that he knows what the Bible teaches, that he knows what he believes and why he believes it, that he's ready to lead uh, for the Lord and be able to declare God's word to others and, and make disciples and evangelize and do all those things. It's not a test of whether or not he's perfect, because none of us is, but uh, rather whether he is headed in the right direction and has taken the time to prepare himself well. And that was a blessed time to be able to ask those questions and hear him give those wonderful answers. Tonight at their church, they are having a special service where they will, will all come together and have a time of prayer for him and formally uh, put him into the ministry or say that we've confirmed his call into the ministry. So Brother Josh is going to be taking my place and teaching my class tonight as I go over there and join with this church in doing that. And that's a blessing to be able to fellowship, yes, in our church, but then to be able to encourage along with other churches to select men for ministry and put forth people into God's service that way. And uh, so 
wanted to share that with you. In the book of Nehemiah, we have been, I think, covered all kinds of things because the book covers all kinds of things. We started out with Nehemiah who had a great problem that he knew about. His city, his hometown, the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. Nehemiah didn't live in Jerusalem at this time. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. But as he heard the news about this, he was very sad about it and he began to pray. A wonderful response, by the way, when we are faced with a problem rather than running around, go in a hole and hide. We don't do those things. We should rather go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Nehemiah prayed about this problem and began to ask God uh, what should be done and began to come up with a plan that he could use to fulfill uh, this work that needed to be done if God would but allow him to go and do it. And God worked in the heart of the king of Persia. And Nehemiah was given the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. God provided all of the finances that he needed. He provided all the people that he needed. He provided Nehemiah with time off from his other job there as the cupbearer and was sent out with the king's blessing to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. When he arrived back in Israel, he took some time to survey the damage. And as he looked at all the problems there, he realized that this was a very big undertaking. And he called all the people together and he told them of how God had provided so that he could have the materials needed to rebuild the wall, that, that he had money to be able to do the work that needed to be able to be done. He had the permission of the king to do the work, and the people came together and they said, we will do this work, we will follow God, we will rebuild the wall. So over the next several chapters, you read of the story as it progresses, as the people come together to do this great work of rebuilding the wall, and as the walls are being rebuilt, it's not without problems because the enemies are coming and, and they're saying, you can't do this, or if you do this, we're going to attack you, or they were saying bad things about Nehemiah, they were threatening them. But Nehemiah continued on in the work, and the people served alongside of him, and in just 52 days, they rebuilt the wall around the city of Jerusalem. As they finished the rebuilding of the wall there, we saw, I believe it's there at the end of chapter 6, though this didn't solve all the problems for the people. Because even though the walls were rebuilt, this didn't solve the problem that was inside of all of them. And the same problem that's inside of all of us, our sin. Even though they had come together and done this great work, there was still dissension among the people. And the disagreements came out of greed and envy, out of fear, the same kinds of problems that we face today. So as these people are arguing and complaining about this, uh, Nehemiah and the people come together. They bring the book. They bring God's Word out. And they begin to read from it. In fact, it's said that as they were reading through God's Word, they saw things that they had not seen and that they had not been obedient to in a long time. And so the people came together and they reestablished uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, something that had not been observed for many, many years, probably as long as a thousand years. As the people came together and began to praise God and worship God and, and give thanks for all that God had done, God began to do a work in their hearts. There was a great time of confession as the people confessed their sins before God. There was great revival taking place in the land as people got right with God and came back together. 
And then they reestablish their covenant with God. They reaffirm their commitment to obedience to God and to following Him and doing what He had told them to do. Then in chapter 10, as we looked at last week, we saw the people as they finished off that commitment to God. They said in verse 39, We will not forsake the house of our God. Then you get to chapter 11 in Nehemiah. And you have a couple of verses at the beginning of the chapter, and then it goes right into a long list of names. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to those places in the Bible where there's long lists of names, sometimes I want to just jump by to the next chapter. But in this list, and Nehemiah actually has a number of different lists in his book, there's some wonderful things that we can look at and that we can learn from. Every single person was important to the work that God was doing there in Jerusalem. Every single person is important to the work of the body of Christ. You know, today I could take you to a place in our country and show you another long list of names, and every name on that list matters. If we were to get on a plane this morning and fly up to Washington, D.C., we could take a trip out to a place where some black granite Walls have been erected, and on those walls are many names inscribed. It's known as the Vietnam War Memorial. I've been there. I've seen that. I've seen those names. Maybe some of you have visited that place as well. Isn't it interesting to go to visit a place where it's just a whole list of names on a wall? Why does it have meaning? It has meaning because of who those people were and what those people did. In fact, even... This week in our country, we celebrate Veterans Day. And we're thankful, and I'm thankful for those who have served our country, who have given up of their time, given up of their comfort to go and to serve us and to protect us. I'm thankful for their families that have sent, allowed them to go and to serve. Every single one of those names on that wall is important, isn't it? Now, only the name of the person that you know might mean something special to you, but every name matters. And the fact that they're collected right there is, is a statement to say, these are those that went and fought and gave their lives serving our country on foreign soil. Here in this list, in Nehemiah chapter 11, we can learn some great things about these people as they were serving God. We see them making a great sacrifice of themselves. See, there had been a great return to following God. They had confessed their sin. They had reaffirmed their commitment to God, and now they were going to walk in obedience to God. Over the next three weeks, this week included, we're going to see three different things that they gave back to God. And the very first thing that we're going to see this morning is that they gave themselves to serve God. That's this living sacrifice that they made. You see, as the walls had been rebuilt, the city was now protected, but there was a problem still with the city. The city didn't have much inside of the walls. In fact, if you look back at Nehemiah 7 verse 4, it says, and the city was large and great, but the people were few therein. And the houses were not built. There was a city, 
but there were very few people living in that city. There was a work that had been started, but now it needed to be defended. Now it needed to be inhabited. Now it needed to be developed. Now it needed to be built out. And in Nehemiah chapter 11, we're going to see as people come together to give of themselves, to move back into the city, to reestablish this city so that it could carry on and the work could be done. We see very simply that there's one blessing of these people. They were just present. They were there. Have you ever thought about that, that your presence matters? That being in a place is important? You know, you go back to that illustration of those names on that wall and others who have fought on behalf of our country. There were generals who were in charge of planning strategy and organizing great campaigns and then there were the cooks working in the kitchens. There were those who just loaded and unloaded trucks. There were people involved at all different levels, but every single one of them was important to the work being done. The fact that they were present was important. Never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God has put you. You may not be asked to perform some dramatic work or some dramatic ministry even, but simply being there is the beginning of ministry. The men, women, and children who helped to populate the city of Jerusalem were serving God as they gave of themselves, and they were serving their nation, and they were serving even future generations as they took these steps of faith. God has the same command to us as believers today. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says this, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Just like you could go up to that memorial in Washington, D.C. and see those names on the wall. Somebody was keeping track of those who served, of those who gave of themselves for us. So too, God is keeping track. And God is writing those names down. And while sometimes we may feel insignificant in what we're doing, God knows. God has His list. In chapter 3, we read a list of people who worked on the wall. And it indicates to us what part of the wall that they repaired. In chapter 7, we have a name of, or a list of the names of the people who came back with Zerubbabel, who had come back even prior to Nehemiah. And then in chapter 8, we have a list of the names of the people, the leaders who were involved at this great Bible conference as they listened to God's Word being read. Chapter 10, we have a name of 84 people who set their seals to the dedicated covenant. In listing these names, Nehemiah was giving evidence of his sincere appreciation for each individual who had assisted in the work. And I think it also reminds us of our Heavenly Father who knows and keeps track of those and what they do to serve Him. Now, as we look at this list this morning, 
we're going to see some wonderful things about it. So I want you to look in your Bible now, Nehemiah chapter 11. Let's begin by reading verses 1 and 2. It says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that, notice this next phrase, that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. See, there had been tithing already going on. You read about that in the previous chapter. They had been giving 10% of what they had to the Lord. Now they weren't just giving their money. Now they weren't just giving their food. Now they were tithing themselves. One in ten was selected out to repopulate this city. But even as they were selected, even through the casting of lots, it says, even those willingly offered themselves. They gave of themselves willingly. So what can we learn from this list here this morning? Uh, we're going to look at a number of things, but the first thing I want you to notice is the variety of the people that gave of themselves to serve the Lord. Those that were giving themselves to come back to Jerusalem to work and live in this city were very different in their backgrounds and in occupations. There was a variety in location. You see in verse 3, now these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem. So some were already in Jerusalem. You can see that also uh, as you read on. But in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their city. So some were in Jerusalem, some were in other cities. You can also see in, in verse number 4, it says, And at Jerusalem dwelt certain of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. So there were people who were already in Jerusalem. Then there were others who were in other cities. There were others who lived out in the country. They were scattered from all different places. They came from all over to give of themselves willingly. There's a variety in location. There's also a variety in their occupation. Verse 3, we see those who were chief of the province. So there were rulers. Of course, that also means there were those who were being ruled. You keep reading down in the chapter and you see those who were craftsmen, those who were farmers and herders. We even read about the priests. Look at verse 10, of the priests. Later on, we see the Levites. There is even a group of people mentioned, the Nethanims or the Nethanims. These were the ones that had no tribe. They were not even Israelites, but they had chosen to follow the God Jehovah, the God of Israel, of Isaac and Jacob. And so they were with the people as well. Some of them came to follow God in giving of themselves to serve in Jerusalem. There were singers, there were porters, there were gatekeepers. There was a wide variety of occupations. There's also a variety in their advantages and disadvantages. We see some who were wealthy, some who came from really great places, others who had nothing. Think about it, some would have had to, if they were moving from their land in the country to the city, they didn't have a good way to take that with them. They couldn't take their farmland with them. They wouldn't 
they, they would have to move to this city and establish a new occupation, doing something different than they had done before. There's a great variety in this group of people who came. Don't be surprised to find great diversity in God's work. There was a great diversity in this group of people. They came from all different places, and I don't think it should surprise us to walk in to church on Sunday morning and see a great diversity in God's work, do you? People from all different locations, people from all different occupations, people from various levels of what we would call culturally advantage or disadvantage, because every single person is important to the work of the Lord. Jesus died for the world. For God so loved the world. That's the rich, that's the poor, that's those that live in America, and those that live in Africa, and those that live in Asia, and those that live in every part of the world. Jesus died for them. Isn't it amazing to think that even as we gather together this morning to worship God, to learn from His Word, that there are people gathered up all around the world. In fact, the Bible says one day there's going to be a great gathering. It speaks about this in the book of Revelation, of every kindred, of every tongue, of every nation, of every people, of every tribe. What a great day that will be as we all gather together to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords in heaven for eternity. But we're not there yet. But while we're not there yet, we're here in this life and there's great diversity in the work of the Lord. Sometimes people can feel unwanted or unneeded, though, because they don't fit quite with everybody else. Different background, different occupation, different level of education, different financial wherewithal. And that's actually a very common thing. And yet for those that feel that way, it often feels very lonely, very much like they're the only ones. I want to encourage you this morning. You're important to the work of the Lord. Every single person is important to the work of the Lord. Some people in a church would say, well, no, the pastor, he's, he's most important. Listen, if I didn't have people to preach to, it wouldn't be much point in being a pastor, would there? Well, the singers, they're important. Well, if they had nobody to sing about, it wouldn't really matter. Well, the nursery workers, they're the important ones, let's be honest, right? <laughs> and we are thankful for them, and I don't know, we may not be able to do it without them. The children's church workers, the greeters at the door, the ushers, those who come in and clean during the week, the people that make visits to others, the soul winners, the disciplers, who's most important in the church? I'll tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. All the rest of us are just coming together from a variety of backgrounds, from a variety of locations, from a variety of social and economic levels so that we can come together for a purpose. There's a variety of those who God uses, but then it brings us right to the next point. While there's a great variety in the work of the Lord, for God's work to really go forward, there must be great unity in the variety. And you'll notice this in chapter 11. There was a great unity, even though there was a great diversity. We see a, a unity of race. I mean, there were Jews and non-Jews here. 
How could they work together? We live in a world today that's often divided over those things. Here's the problem. It's a misunderstanding of God's creation and sin. Because God only created one race, the human race. We all have a common ancestor, Adam and Eve. Some people, well, racial divide only really makes sense if you believe in that we just came to be through evolution or some other process. But if you believe that we were created by God, now, we can choose things to fight over, don't get me wrong, doesn't make it right. But the reality is there's only one race. It's the human race. Yes, there's some differences in appearance. There's tall people and short people too. But God made us all. And He made us all part of the human race. Even in this group, we see this unity as they came together as believers in Christ, not only do we have the same common ancestor, we have the same heavenly Father, praise God. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Savior, Jesus Christ. We also see in these people, though, a great unity of faith. As you go down in chapter 11, you see that the sons of Levi came together, and then later the the priests who came together. Notice in verse 27, it says, And at the dedication, I'm sorry, I jumped clear over to chapter 12. I am to, I'm sorry, I turned two pages there. It was a good verse, but that's not the verse I was expecting to go to there. Okay, let me, let me find my place here. Okay, so we had some who were the singers in verse number 23. We had those who came together to... Uh, give thanksgiving in prayer. Look at verse 17. It was the principle to begin the thanksgiving in prayer and the second of his brethren. Verse 18, we had all these Levites who came together to work. Uh, we see these people as they worshiped God together. There was a unity of faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, there are many arguments today, and I, I'm all for this. We have to be very careful that we are worshiping the true God. In fact, yesterday in the ordination process, we were asking questions. Who's the true God? How do you know He's the true God? What about this religion? What about that religion? What about those people? What about this people? Sometimes unity can be an excuse for uniformity in the sense that we put aside truth so that we can find something to unify around. It's very interesting because in the book of Nehemiah, what brought them together was a return to the truth. If you go back a couple of chapters, you see them returning to the Word of God, returning to obedience, confessing their sin before God. As they came before a holy God and got right with God, it brought great unity among the people. But that's the exact opposite of, mo of what most people would like you to believe. That where there is truth, where there is righteousness, where there is standards, people would say, well, that divides. No, there's great unity around our Heavenly Father and around our Lord Jesus Christ. The divide is not within who God is and what God is doing. The divide comes with those who would choose to reject a holy God.
So while there will be division in this world, if we are doing right, the division should not come based on between those who believe and follow the same God. The division should come between those who reject a holy God. As we've been talking about on Sunday nights, there's only two foundations. You can either have God's word or you can have man's word. You can either believe what God has said or you can believe what other people have said. And I would challenge you as a believer in Christ, the Bible says that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to know what God says because there are many questions around us. There was a unity of faith. We even see a unity of relationship here as these people from all different backgrounds came together. They connected to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Think about how they would have uh, joined together for religious purposes, for business purposes, even for protection purposes. Some were working to guard the wall and guard the gates. Others were singers in the temple. I mean, you can imagine it, right? Those tough soldiers over there guarding the gate going, what's wrong with those wimpy singers over there? And yet they were all important working together, right? The singers helped them worship God. The soldiers at the gate helped to protect the city. They were all important. They were all part of the work. There was great unity as they had relationship together serving God because they did it willingly. You see, the unity that ought to come, I think, even among believers today doesn't come because we all look exactly the same. It doesn't come because we all come from the same place. It shouldn't come because we all have all the exact same likes and dislikes. It ought to come because we're all serving the same God and we're trying to accomplish the same purpose with our life. God has given us a command. He told us through Jesus Christ, He said in Matthew chapter 28, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Instead, what are we often doing? Our own purpose, our own plan. God's called us to go and make disciples. There's a great unity of relationship. There was a unity of their end, of their purpose. They were working together to fulfill the plan and purpose of God. They praised God together. They worked together. They rebuilt the city together. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has called us to bring praise to him. How are you praising God on Monday morning at the office? How are you praising God when you get your children ready for school? How are you praising God when you're slogging through the dishes? And the laundry, those are hard places to praise God, aren't they sometimes? How are you praising God when you're sitting at the doctor's office? Those are hard places to praise God. We have so many things that keep us from praising God. How do you praise God when you get the mail and you see 
more bills, right? And you, how are we praising God for those things? That's why as a Christian, and we even sang it in the song that we're learning together this month, it's so important that we step back daily, almost moment by moment, right? To refocus our hearts and minds on God and say, wait a minute, I can thank God for this. I can thank God for that. I can thank God for what he's done. He's done all these things. Yes, some of it felt bad to me, but I know God meant it unto me for good. God's plans are always good. God's plans are always right. And I can thank God for where he's put me today because I know God is in control, that God's ways are best, that he is working things according to his purpose. So we see a great variety. We see a great unity. But then to finish off this morning, I want you to notice that there's a great responsibility. Variety, unity, and responsibility. There's a responsibility of variety in unity. I would say one responsibility that the people had as they came together to do this great work, as they came together to repopulate the city, to rebuild the city, to build houses in the city, to build businesses in the city, to protect the city, to bring the worship of God back to the city, they had to be content with their position. Contentment with your position. That's a responsibility to be content. God has said that, think the Apostle Paul, isn't it, who wrote that said, I have found in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, I know both how to be abased and to abound. Paul wasn't writing that from his recliner in front of a fire with a cup of hot chocolate in his hand. He's writing that from a prison cell. How could he say that? Because the Apostle Paul, while he'd been through many difficult things, he kept his focus very simple. He said it this way in Philippians chapter 1, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's pretty simple. I wonder if we could articulate our purpose in life in that short of a phrase. I would say that we could if our purpose was to follow God. Often we have so many different things competing for our attention, competing for our focus, and we're not sure what to do and where to go. There was a responsibility that these people be content with their position. Every person doesn't need to do everything. Every person can't do everything. Not only was there contentment, but a responsibility to care for one another, mutual affection and care. As they were working together, if they were arguing and bickering and complaining, there would be no good work going forward. Instead, arguing about who sang and where they stood and, and what soldiers were going to guard what gate. No, there had to be organization, there had to be a plan, and they needed to move forward in love one for another. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. But I would tell you, in, in many churches this morning, 
If someone who doesn't know Christ were to walk into that church and heard the bickering and the arguing and the complaining and the disagreements and the struggles, they'd probably turn right out and go the other way. No love. No love. Now, we're not a perfect people either. We need to ask ourselves, how, how can we demonstrate love one toward another? Loving someone else means putting yourself in a lower position. It means choosing to care for someone else's needs ahead of my own. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, well, the first and greatest commandment is this, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, strength. And the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Mutual affection and care. I think we can also see as we understand what's going on in this chapter, as these people are coming back together to do this great work, we see a mutual helpfulness. They're helping one another. They're working together. Look at verse 16. It says, And Shabbatai and Josabad. See, these are names that wouldn't mean anything to us except they're recorded in God's word as men, it says, who were of the chief of the Levites and had the oversight of the outward business of the house of God. That's interesting, isn't it? He sounds a little bit like a modern day deacon. They, they had oversight of the outward business of the house of God. These were not the priests. These were not the singers. These were not those who were leading in worship, but rather they took care of the outward business of the house of God. I just am so thankful for those that take care of the outward business of even this place. Even though we would say today, our, the house of God is, is us. The Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. We know that, but we have gathered together in this place to worship Him. They were helping each other. Some were cleaning, perhaps. Some were repairing, perhaps. Some were in charge of taking care of the, all the items that would be needed in the temple for worship. They had to have animals for sacrifice. There's a lot of in and out with the animals, making sure you have the right animals, making sure the animals are cleaned up after the sacrifices, making sure, we read this in the last chapter, making sure that they had wood for the sacrifices and to be on the altar. All kinds of things going on here. We had those who were in charge of guarding the gates, the porters, those people that took care of those things. They were having to help each other. Every person is essential to the work of God. There are no throwaway people in God's kingdom. And yet we live in a society that almost wants to act like, well, these are the important people. Everybody else, they just exist to support the important people. You matter to God. He has demonstrated this when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place, in my place. And He's demonstrated this by then giving those who believe in Him the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. Isn't that special? You don't have to come to me to find somebody that the Holy Spirit is living inside of. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you just like I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Isn't that a blessing? Here's the theological term that we use. We talked about this a little bit last night in the ordination. It's called the priesthood 
of all believers. We have one high priest, that's Jesus Christ. But you and I, if we're believers in Christ, we all, biblically speaking, are priests. What's a priest? It's one who can talk to God, one who can go directly to God. And because of Jesus Christ, who is our intercessor, and because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we can go directly to God with our prayer requests, with our needs, with our struggles, asking for direction, asking for help. There is a working together that God does in us to fulfill His plan. These people were working together to fulfill the plan that God had for them. I think everybody can teach us things. Do you believe that? I think there are things you can learn from, all, you know, from anybody. doesn't matter whether they're a child in junior church. I learn more things teaching junior church, I think, sometimes than I did in some whole semesters of college that I sat in. I've learned more things at home taking care of children with my wife than I did in, in many other areas of my life. I've learned more things about God's Word by opening it and discipling somebody else and just explaining and answering questions because some of them, like Anthony, have a million questions, right, Joe? Joe probably learned more from God's Word by discipling Anthony than he had in the last several years of just studying God's Word on his own. I'm not picking on Joe. That's just the reality. That's how it works, and it's a blessing. I've learned so much as I've studied God's Word along with other people, probably far more than I've learned studying it even to preach. It's wonderful how God's plan works as we help each other, as we encourage one another in growth, as we lead one and follow one and take one and all those ideas we've been talking about. There's a mutual helpfulness. We also see a united action. The people came together and did this work together. They had united to rebuild the wall and defend themselves from their enemies, and now they were uniting together to praise God as they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. We too can act together in the work of God. There's a, a focus and energy and action. Can you imagine what it must have been like in Jerusalem over those next few days, weeks, and months as people were moving into the city from wherever they came from, as they were rebuilding homes, as Things were moving together as people were opening businesses and establishing the work as the worship of God was beginning to really come together in the temple. It must have been a great time to live in Jerusalem. This was a city that had been broken down, that had been torn up, that had been empty, that had been laid waste for years and years and years. And now the walls are rebuilt and the people are moving back in and the city is coming to life Again, it's a beautiful thing. Last night I was driving over to uh, this other church for this meeting I was in. and I had to come around the 610 bridge over by Pasadena. And as I was coming over that big bridge, I'm sure you've all been on it at one time or another. It was about 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon. And I looked over towards downtown. And, you know, you look at Houston, you see... It's a great angle to see the skyline because from, from, from the north, you can't see it quite the same. From the south, you, can't see it, you don't see it. But from the east, looking towards the west, you just see that line of buildings all of downtown. And then you can see uptown in the distance, and it all kind of connects. And then you can just keep coming right around. You see the medical center and all this, and it's like, wow, that's an incredible skyline. And in my heart, I thought, 
God, you've brought so many people here to us, and you're bringing so many people every day to this city. And these people need Jesus. These people need hope. They need answers. There's a city that's being built right here before our eyes. And the opportunities are great. Jesus said it this way, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. It's exciting to be together acting in the work of God. It's exciting to see God build his church. It's exciting to look out for me and think about just two, two and a half years ago, we had a big Sunday if we had 15 people. And while sometimes it feels slow or sometimes it feels like things don't move as quickly as we want in a church or things don't change as quickly as they want, spiritual change takes time. Heart change takes work. These are, this is not always a fast process, but it's a wonderful process because it's God's process. Spiritual growth is wonderful. Spiritual birth is exciting. New believers are wonderful. Thursday night, it was kind of cold and rainy, and I drove down to North Main Street, just south of Quitman, into a little rented building, and there was a four-year-old girl holding a sign, and on the front it said, Welcome, we're so glad you're here, and her mommy was standing right next to her, Adriana Cripps, and, and, I, and they said, We have some coffee and some pizza rolls inside. They've really one-upped us. You know, we're trying to do donuts out here, and they've got pizza rolls. And I said, I don't think this is fair. We're going to have to step up our game. I don't know, and uh, this is good. So somebody's going to have to make the pizza rolls. That's all I'm saying, okay? I know where to buy the donuts. I don't make the pizza rolls, so you have to figure that out. They all helped each other, right? But I went down there, and I walk in. They had the room all set up nicely with chairs, and they had some music playing, and David, he's running around trying to figure out, you know, kind of nervous and excited, and, oh yeah, we got some people coming, this happened, this person's over trying to pick it, and he's all, you know, like I am a lot, <laughs> but he's excited, and he's doing his very best, and he had, it was he and his wife and their two little girls, and then his sister and her husband, and then another young lady that they'd been discipling in their youth group from when he was a youth pastor. And then there was me, and it was 6.30, it was time to start. And there was nobody else there. And David came in, and I could tell he was kind of, he was a little flustered and like, where is everybody? Why is nobody here? I'm just telling you, these are the things I think through too. It's just natural. He's looking around, Where, what are we going to do? Where is everybody? He said, why don't we come in the other room? Let's just pray for a little bit. Because he didn't want to start and if no one was there outside. He wanted to make sure others were joining. Well, let, let's just pray for a minute. I said, okay. I'm just try, I told him, I'm just here to go along. I'm not in charge. You're in charge. I just want to just listen and observe. So I walk in with everybody else. We get in there and no David. I don't know. He was just flustered and he sent us in to pray. And he may have gone and prayed somewhere else. I don't know what he did. 
But he disappeared, and so we're kind of standing there going, are we supposed to pray or not pray? We don't know. And in my heart, I said, Lord, help him, encourage him. He's, doing, he's working so hard, and I uh, want things to go well for him. Well, next minute, a couple people come in. You know, but it's supposed to start at 6.30. Here they come in, run at 6.40. And I wanted to tell David, some things never change. Here they came, one man in his wheelchair. This was a man that came to Christ just about three weeks ago. David said, we've been meeting every week and studying God's word together. That man rolled down the street in his wheelchair in the rain to come to a Bible study on a Thursday night at a church with 12 people there. Another man had to, go, had to be picked up because he, he doesn't have a car right now. So one of the other guys had driven and picked him up. And here they came in, and we all sat down. And David got up and led in some songs. The first song they sang was Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. We sang that song this morning. And that was of the Lord, because I didn't tell Billy that we sang that Thursday night. Billy just picked that for this morning. And so that was an encouragement to my heart even to sing that. And he, we sang several songs together, and... I just, my heart was full as we sang out to the Lord, and then David shared a wonderful message from God's Word, and then afterwards everybody was shaking hands and hugging and greeting one another and so excited that they were part of this little, tiny, baby church that God was doing His work. So afterwards I said, David, have you guys had supper yet? Because I knew they'd been working hard. He goes, no, I think maybe I ate a pizza roll. I said, Let's go out to dinner. I want to take you to supper. So I took his wife and him and his kids, and we went to eat at a really fancy place. It was, it was his. I, I offered. I said, we'll go wherever you like. And we went to Whataburger. <laughs> and uh, there we were at the Whataburger. And I said, get whatever you like. And so they ordered their meal, and I ordered mine. I paid for it. And we sat down, and, you know, he's kind of just calming down a little bit, and I just looked at both of them in the eye. I said, you guys are doing a great job. I said, keep up the good work. I said, because everything you're doing reminds me exactly of where we were just a couple years ago. Isn't God good? You know, I'd been carrying along just some burdens in my own heart and praying for people and, and folks that are struggling and people that are hurting and people in our church that have needs, and we have lots of needs. We're needy people. And it was a reminder to me, yeah, God helped us through that. God will help us through this. It was so encouraging. And I told David, I said, you know, these same people that you're working so hard. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. He said, you know, there was five other people that told me they were going to be here tonight, and they just didn't come. I said, that's okay. I said, I know how that goes. I don't know why people lie to pastors so much. <laughs> If all the people came to church that told me we're going to come to church, we would not have an empty seat in this place a lot of times. I said, David, it's okay. I said, you know those same people that you're working so hard to get to come to church? I said, those are going to be the same people that as you help them walk through the spiritual struggles and the mess that they're going through in their lives, they're going to be the same people that are going to be a great burden to you and to your wife as you struggle to lead them in truth and point them to Jesus. So the burden right now is, won't you just come? The burden will soon become, 
I'm not sure if we still want you to come. <laughs> but we love you and we're going to help you grow because God is good and his word is true. And everybody has mess and everybody has struggles and everybody has needs and everybody needs Jesus. See, there's a great responsibility. There's a variety in the people God uses. If we serve God, there ought to be a great unity in the work as we follow Him. But we have a great responsibility. Folks, we have a, a, a responsibility as we're helping this new church start. We have a responsibility even in this church as well to continue on the work of the Lord. And you know, we even have a responsibility and you're going to get to know more of these people over time as God has allowed us to give and to support missions going on around the world. And then we sometimes think of our responsibility corporately, but we also have a responsibility individually to go and make disciples. That's not just a command given to the church. That was given to the disciples. That was given to a group of individuals. We have a responsibility to go and to share Christ. We have a responsibility to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to disciple those and help them to grow. We see a unity in their action. We see a willingness to sacrifice. Nehemiah 11.2, the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. I am excited for the future of God's work in this place. I'm excited because God has brought people from a variety of places, a variety of backgrounds, and given them a unity of purpose around the work of God and the Word of God. Others may drive by and say, well, there's not much to look at there. Listen, the church is not a building to look at. It is people that are being changed through the power of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And there is a great world that needs the Lord. There is a great work that needs to be done. And it may never look big to anybody out there, but it's big to me because it's God's work going forward. May we be faithful in it. There's a great list of names here in Nehemiah 11. I was thinking through this this past week, and I didn't write it all down, but I thought it would be fun to sit down right now and just write the list of names that God has used to put this church in its place. It's a long list, and a lot of the people on that list aren't even in this room this morning. There's people all over this country. Did you know there was a church in Japan that was helpful in, in encouraging us to start this church. And the pastor of that church, he's now in heaven. People all over the world. You say, really? God used things from all over the world to start another little church in Houston? You think God cares about things like that? I do. I do. If we made a list of the names this morning, where, where would your name be on the list? How are you involved in the work of the Lord? God has his list. He has the Lamb's book of life, doesn't he? I hope you know that your name's written in that book this morning. That you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I also hope that someday when you get to heaven and you hear the Lamb's book of life read out and you hear your name called, that you'll also hear the name of somebody else 
that God allowed you to be a part in leading them to Christ so that their name's in the book as well. I hope it'll be many names, but for many it's just getting the first name there. Bible says there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for those who serve him faithfully. I've loved the book of Nehemiah and we're not done with the book of Nehemiah. In fact, next week we're going to look not only as they gave themselves, they gave their praise. Talk about how important it is to give our praise to the Lord next week. But I'm just thankful for how God works and, and this passage of scripture this week I thought was very opportune in my life that God would lead us together to this passage right now and then give me the opportunity to go over and see David and New Life, their church getting started and then go be a part of this ordination and then have several other conversations that the Lord allowed me to have this week to encourage my heart about what God is doing through His people. I want to say thank you to each of you because you're here, because you're serving, because you're giving, because you're a part of this work. And that's a blessing to me. I can't do this without you, and we definitely can't do this without the Lord. And I'm excited about the future of what God has as people continue to come together from a variety of places, as we have a great unity about what God has called us to do, and as we take seriously the responsibility that God has given each of us to serve Him. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? We need to have a time of response to God's word. A true response to God happens in our hearts. As the piano plays this morning, would you respond to God? If you'd like to come forward with your feet as well, you're welcome to come pray with me down front. But the most important thing is that you're responding to what God has spoken to your heart about this morning. Ask yourself, God, if this, name, if this list was read out, where would my name be on the list? God, who am I helping to bring to Christ? How am I serving you? Am I doing things faithfully like I should? If there's areas that need work, I would challenge you to follow Him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know He loves you. And he wants to save you. Let's pray. Father, help us to be obedient to your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.